We're going to look at the book of Micah this morning, and we're halfway done with our series already entitled Because of His Love. And uh, in this series, we're learning major wisdom, I think, from the Minor Prophets. And so I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. And I'm also looking forward to those of you at home who are listening, because I was one of you for the last two weeks. And I have a new appreciation for how well that comes across. And I was really encouraged by Pastor Aaron and his messages. He's a great guy, isn't he? You should give him a round of applause. God's good, and I thank God for him. Um, And good messages in... uh, and I, I, I see the ministry uh, benefit of, 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 of airing our, our services and where you can watch them at home on your computer or on your phone and so have a new appreciation for that also. Um, for six weeks now, we've been looking at these minor prophets and um, even though they're called minor prophets, they have major uh, wisdom to impart to us. And part of our goal in this series has simply uh, been to learn vicariously uh, uh, from these prophets so that we don't have to learn everything ourselves firsthand. Um, This is part of the purpose of these Old Testament uh, books that we look at. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul got after this very idea in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's talking about how the ancient Israelites refused to go into the promised land, and so they had to wander in the wilderness, and so many of them uh, then, of course, were buried in the wilderness. They died off while that generation died off, and a new generation was born that could enter the promised land. And and the Apostle Paul says this very thing here in in 1 Corinthians 10, verse uh, 6 uh, through 11. Listen to what he says. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, amen? And were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So part of the reason we look at a minor prophet like Micah is the very thing that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 10, that we learn from this example, that we become insightful and wise without having to go through some things ourselves. And Paul's basically saying to you and I, we who live in what is called this age of grace between the first appearing of Christ and the second coming of Christ, that we need to look back on these Old Testament stories and learn from their examples so that we live a right life now and we don't succumb to some of the things that trip people up in former uh, times. So I'm hoping that you're gaining some of that wisdom as we go through these series of messages. Micah's name is interesting. It means who is like God. His name means who is like God. So every time Micah's name was called out, it was saying, Hey, Micah, who is like God, you want to go out and get some lunch? Hey, Micah, who is like God, you want to come over and play some games? Hey, Micah, who is like God, you want to just hang out tonight? Every time you mentioned the boy's name, it was like an act of worship. Micah, who is like God. Micah, who is like God. It's a great name. And we'll see later on in the, as the morning um, transpires that Micah makes a play on his own name in chapter 7, verse 18, where he says, who is a God like you? He's, he's making a play on his own name, you know, because his name means who is like God. Micah was from an insignificant town called um, Moreseth Gath. And he ministered during the same time as a, a, a better-known uh, prophet named Isaiah. Now, he's from this little town. It'd be like a prophet today being from the town of Bruce. 
I said that first hour, and some of you got offended. <laughs> hey, Bruce is small. It's tiny. If you live there, great, good for you. But it's a small town, amen? And what, what you see from, from uh, God using someone like Micah is that God will use a person from an insignificant place who maybe even is lowly in, you know, the, 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 the you know, sight of this world to do significant things for his glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom. That's how God works. That's his kind of standard operating uh, procedure. And here's the plan today. I, I'm going to give a super quick overview of the book of Micah, and then I want to land on and camp on a key verse that answers the question, uh, what does God require of me as a follower? One of the most important questions I think we could ask ourselves is what does God require of me as a follower? Micah addresses that very question. So let's begin with a quick summary of the book of Micah. There are three words I would use if I was going to summarize the book of Micah. It, it would be the words punishment, promise, and pardon. It's easy for me to remember these kind of things because they alliterate and they go together. But let's talk for a few moments on, on how Micah is summarized this way. Uh, the first word being punishment. Like so many of the minor prophets, Micah begins with predicting a judgment to come in chapters 1 through 3 uh, of the book of Micah. But, uh, but he does something that's really insightful. He tells us why the judgment's going to come. And what's behind the judgment that Israel's going to experience? Um, so let's talk on that for just a few moments. Uh, the judgment was a result, first of all, of people planning and doing evil. The people, by and large, were planning to do evil and then carrying it out. In fact, Micah notes in chapter 2 uh, of the book of Micah that the people were making plans to do evil when they were going to bed, and then in the morning they were carrying it out. And so, in other words, what Micah is saying is evil and, and, and disobedience is on your mind. You're, you're making plans for it. You're making arrangements for it. You know, basically, what are you thinking? And then a second reason that judgment was uh, 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 happening was because of false prophets of that time. There were many false prophets who stood up and basically said to Micah, you need to shut up. You need to quit saying the things you're saying. Um, and, and they were actually standing against um, the, 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 the move of God and, and the true prophets uh, like Micah. That's how out of touch the spiritual leaders were. And then lastly, the, the, the judgment was going to be a result of leaders who should have known justice, but instead they loved evil and they hated good. And so here's what you see here, why punishment was coming. Basically, there was a problem from the bottom of society to the top of society. The people in general were, were planning for it, doing evil. The spiritual leaders were out of touch. They were false. And then the leadership was loving injustice, loving evil and hating good. And I, and I go, wow, you know, I mean, you can see why punishment was on its way. Amen? So now Micah turns a distinct corner when he gets to chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Micah, and he begins to talk on a promise-keeping God, a God who makes promises and then keeps those promises and some of the promises to come. And so this turns into a very predictive portion of the book of Micah. He talks about what is to come, and he begins to use language in that day, which is a reference to the day of the Lord, which is a reference to the, to the return of Jesus Christ. And Micah begins to say, when, the, when Christ comes back again, this is the return of Christ to establish his, his kingdom, there's a couple things that are going to transpire. First of all, there's going to be an establishment of a righteous kingdom. 
There's a promise of the coming of a righteous kingdom. And at that time, Micah says, and now this is super predictive. It's talking about uh, when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. He says this in Micah 4, swords will be beaten into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine, under his own fig tree, and he will not be afraid. Now, we have yet to experience that, right? Because that's surely not happening yet. But Micah said, that is coming. And as Revelation says, when, when Christ comes and, re- and establishes his kingdom, the kingdoms of this world um, will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and his reign shall be forever and ever and ever. Micah talked about that. But not only did he talk about this future righteous kingdom coming, he also uh, makes a prediction that a righteous king will come, the, the king being, of course, Jesus Christ. And he is the only prophet that tells of the birthplace of the coming King Jesus. And we read this frequently at Christmas time. It's Micah 5 2. And Micah 5 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And then Micah goes on to say, He will be a shepherd of the flock. Jesus will be a shepherd of the flock. His greatness will reach to the ends of the, uh, uh, of the earth, and he will be our peace. Very predictive, very futuristic of what would happen when Christ came. And this brings us to this perspective. We've got to get on the promise that, uh, that, that Micah are, are making known to us, the promises that he's making known to us. Micah is a very predictive book, a very predictive book. There is foretelling in this book as well as foretelling when it comes to the prophetic ministry. Now, let me explain that. Uh, the prophetic ministry is talked about a lot in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. In Romans uh, chapter 12, it talks about some of us being gifted prophetically. And you see that the main emphasis there is a foretelling emphasis when it talks about the gifting of, the, of, the, of, the, of prophecy. Now, foretelling means I have a high regard for telling the truth. I can't help myself. I have to tell the truth. And a lot of the prophets, that was a big part of their ministry, was telling the truth to people even when the truth is very hard. Micah does that, but Micah also is foretelling. He's predictive of what is going to transpire down the road. And so his book is really a cool, predictive book about what will happen. He foretells as well as foretells. And lastly, when you get to the last two chapters of Micah, chapters 6 and 7, I kind of use the word pardon to characterize this section of, of Micah. Uh, these two chapters are, are, are set up really kind of cool. It's like God is having a trial with Israel. Israel's on trial for their wrongdoing, and God is the judge. The, the, the mountains and the hills are like the courtroom. <laughs> and, he, and he begins to talk to Israel, and he begins to, to share with them uh, about, you know, what's going to happen. And, 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 and in all of it, what we see here is a judge who's willing to pardon. And he gives this really insightful truth to us in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And this is what we're going to talk about most of the day here. But he says, what do I require of you? Do you guys even know what I require of you? Do you even know what I want from you? And he tells them, this is what I want from you. This is what I require of you. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. If you do not have that verse memorized, you should have that verse memorized. What does God require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We'll talk on that in a few moments. But as this kind of discourse of the last two chapters continues on, um, we see um, some revelation made about who God is. It's a key insight because oftentimes we read these Old Testament books like Micah or Obadiah or Nahum or, or whatever they might be, and we go, wow, God seems so judgmental. He seems harsh, but he's not. He's not at all. He's warned and 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 warned to people. Over and over again, he's pleaded with them. Over and over again, he sent them prophets. Over and over again, he sent them, you know, messengers to, to declare to them truth. But the people are so hard-hearted, they're never hearing uh, what God is saying. It's not like God said, once and you're out, or two and you're out, or even three strikes and you're out. It's like, I'm to strike 30, and you're still not getting this. And so the key insight is revealed about who God is here in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Again, this is a little bit of a play on Micah's name. And he begins by saying, who is a God like you? Remember Micah's name means, who is a God like you, right? And he says, who is a God like you? Now get this. Hear what he says about God. Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And when we read this scripture, we ought to go, hallelujah, this has happened. Jesus has come, just like Micah predicted. He has hurled our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And God no longer looks at us as guilty because we're sinful people, but he looks at us as blood-purchased followers, children of God. Amen? And we should read this and go, wow. This has transpired and we see it in our day and age. So I want to zoom in on the question, what does God require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I think we need to just flesh that question and answer out just a little bit here today because it's a, 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 a truth that, that transcends cultures and transcends times, and it applies to us today just like it applied to those in Micah's day. So we're going to answer the big question, what does God require of you? Well, first of all, you are to act justly. So what does that mean, to act justly? What does it mean to have a high regard for justice? See, justice is part of the nature of God, and he can't dwell with injustice. And so in his great mercy, part of the reason that he sends consequences and punishment on people is to get them to understand that rejection of him and disobedience to him has grave consequences so that they can come back to him and experience his compassion and love and mercy. Amen? So his, his goal in punishment is never to say, I just punish for the sake of punish. His, his goal is to turn wayward people back to himself. There seems to be built into you and I who are made in the image of God a justice meter. We inherently uh, uh, see justice. Now, it may be skewed by, you know, our sinfulness or our, our, our self-absorbed, you know, absorbed natures and all that, but there's a justice meter built into us. A story is told by an umpire 
referee that, uh, that gets after this justice thing really well. I'm going to tell that to you today. So this referee umpire is driving in Boulder, Colorado in the snow, not unlike what we have here, amen? And a police officer pulls him over and gives him a ticket for driving too fast in the conditions, which they can do. You're aware of that, right? So if the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, but, and you're going 70 miles an hour, and the weather's really bad, technically, you know, it's, you could have that happen, right? All right? Just, I'm defending some of the police officers among us, amen? So I don't want y'all to get mad at me. So anyway, and so, the, so this umpire referee tries to, you know, talk the officer out of the ticket. He said, man, I can't, I can't afford this right now. Uh, can you show me a little bit of mercy here? And he blah, 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 and has this conversation uh, to which the police officer replied, well, you know, you can always take it up in court. And so that was left at that. Well, it was months later, and now it's baseball season, and there's a rec league, uh, uh, baseball uh, league, I should say that, right? Uh, 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 whatever, you get what I'm saying. Recreation, baseball, whatever. Anyway, this guy's umpiring, and lo and behold, the first batter that comes to the plate is this police officer. <laughs> and they look at each other, and there's a momentary recognition, and there's an awkward pause, and the police officer turns to uh, the umpire, and he says, well, how did it go with that ticket in the court thing? To which the umpire simply said, swing at everything. <laughs> so, and we, we like those kind of stories because, because they get at kind of our, our innate justice that we want to see. We just have built into us, because we're made in the image of God, this kind of justice thing that we think is right. Now, again, like I said, it can be tremendously skewed by our sinful nature. And even people who are very mean-spirited and unjust to other people, when they're treated poorly, they get on their high horse, right, and say, this isn't fair, this isn't right. Because built into us is this justice kind of understanding of life. And God calls you and I to act justly. See, you are called to be an agent of justice for God's glory. You are called as a follower of God to act justly, to be an agent, to be seeing yourself as called and set apart uh, for the justice of God's glory. I, I uh, think about this as kind of like being on the secret mission for God. You ever think that way? I, I think this way all the time. I'm, I'm an agent. I'm a secret agent for the justice of God. And it reminds me of a song that I really liked in the 1966. It was written by Johnny Rivers. I'm really dating some of you. You're not going to know it at all. But it's Secret Agent Man, right? Secret Agent Man, right? Isn't that a great song? I even listened to it multiple times. I hate to say this in a minute while I was writing this message because I thought, I just want to reminisce. And you know what? It's still good. No, it's not. Go ahead and go and listen to it and you'll laugh at me. But the dude definitely looks like he's out of the 60s and he sings like that also. But we're secret agents, so to speak, for the justice of God, for the glory of God. And you might think, this is overwhelming. How can I ever be an agent of justice for God in a culture that's so unjust and so out of touch with who God is? So let's talk about what it means to be an agent of justice just for a couple minutes. First of all, it begins with this word, notice. 
begin to take notice of those around you. Begin to notice when people are treated unjustly. Begin to be sensitive and sympathetic to it. Begin, if nothing else, with race. Begin to begin to really understand what minorities go through. Begin to ask God to give you a heart for how unjust oftentimes people who are, are different are treated. One of the reasons I really like Night to Shine is because we're looking at a segment of culture that's frequently neglected and not valued. And we're saying for a night, we value you just because of who you are. Amen? Notice. Begin to notice. That's where acting justly starts. Just begin to notice. Secondly, and we all can do this, pray. Pray when you see things that aren't right. Pray for God's justice to prevail. Pray for those in authority to have a right heart, a just heart, as they make decisions that affect other people. Begin to have a praying attitude for others. Three, change. You can begin to change. You can begin to have different attitude. You can begin to treat people differently, amen? You can become a true agent of justice. You can begin to value people. You can begin to build up people. You can begin to see beyond differences. You can begin to be one that resonates with the heart of God and treat people accordingly, amen? And you can make a difference. And this brings us right to point D, be courageous. Because if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to say the right things and do the hard things at the right time, you'll stand out. And you won't always be appreciated. And like the prophets of old, you might take some heat. You might take some, you know, mocking and ridicule, and that might be directed towards you. And, and you know, God often calls his people to say the right things and do the right things in spite of what everybody else is doing around you. Amen? Amen? Do that with the love of Jesus driving you. Don't do it with self-righteousness and a haughty spirit, but do it. Act justly. Say the hard things. Do the right things in spite of what everybody else is doing around you. Amen? Act justly for the glory of God. Secondly, we're to love mercy. We're to love mercy. So what does it mean to you to love mercy? If someone were to ask you, do you love mercy? How would you answer that question? What does it mean for me as a follower of God to love mercy? Well, mercy comes from the Hebrew word heseth, and it just means a love that always seeks to express itself in action towards another individual. So basically, it's a love that's expressing itself in action towards another human being for the sake of that human being. Amen? That is what it means to love mercy. And of course, God demonstrated his love for us, his loving kindness, by expressing it in covenant relationships. So, so here's what I mean by that. Jesus came to establish the new covenant, right? And what that means is God is saying, if I, as a sinner, realize my status and I say, Jesus, come into me, make me new, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can be born again and be a follower of you, God has said, because of his son's death on the cross and his atonement for our sins, that he will obligate himself to save such a one who does that. Amen? 
Because it's a covenant relationship. It's the new covenant. God has bound himself. So he's not going to look at you and say, you know, I just don't like you, so I'm going I'm to throw that covenant out. I don't like the way you look or whatever. You know, he's not going to do any of that. He's going to stick to his word because he's a covenant-keeping God and an expression of the fact that he loves mercy. A, 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 a young mom and a very young son are walking in uh, the city one day, and it was a cold winter night. Do you notice that there's a theme in my message of cold winter time? <sighs> so cold, isn't it? Anyway, so they're walking along, and they look down this alley, and there they see this guy huddled under a blanket sleeping in the alley, a homeless man. And they had never seen anything like that, and the little boy, of course, is fascinated with it. And his mom's a little anxious, and she's trying to shoo him off, and he stops, and he's looking, and, 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 and then he, he grabs his mom, and he says, Mom, I want to say something. She just kind of wanted to move on, you know? And she bends over, and he whispers into her ear, I have three coats at home. Can I just give him my coat? And she turns and looks at her son, and she's a bit anxious, and she says, you finish the story what would you say? Would most of you say yes? Would you say, well, let's just move on? See, that little boy loved mercy. He saw that need, and with no thought of return or what this is going to do for me, his heart felt for that person, and he wanted to just say, here, take my coat. No agenda, no payback needed. Uh, he loved mercy. And as a parent, if your kid ever expresses a love of mercy, don't stand in their way. Amen? Encourage them in that. Because God loves mercy. Loving mercy means we do beneficial things for others with no thought of return. And so what are some possible ways that you can show that you love mercy? There's some blanks on your note-taking guide. This week, God's going to give you an opportunity to, to love mercy. What are some ways you think you could do that? Maybe you could jot a note or two down here. Let me give you a couple of suggestions. Maybe you know somebody that's just having a hard time right now, maybe financially, maybe relationally. Uh, maybe they have an illness, whatever. Maybe God wants you just to do something for them. Give them something. Bless them. Don't tell them you're doing it. Don't need to be recognized. Just do it anonymously. Maybe the same goes for you see something that needs to be done, a service that needs to be done, a need that needs to be met, and you just do it. Do it without being noticed. That's okay because you love mercy. Sometimes it could be as simple as maybe I'm just going to go give blood today. I hate needles, but I think someone might need my blood, so I'll go do that, right? I hate needles. Isn't that ironic? At any rate, um, Visiting uh, someone who's sick or, or, or seeing an elderly person that lives across the street and it's snowing like this outside and you see that her, her sidewalk has two feet of snow, go over and shovel the snow. Love mercy. Amen? Show that you love mercy. Okay, lastly we are to, to walk humbly before your God. And what do you think that it means to walk humbly before your God? What, what comes to your mind when you think of this phrase? Does it, does how, how Micah talk in his book remind you of one being humble let me let me let me share a verse from micah chapter 3 verse 8 he says this but as for me i'm filled with power with the spirit of the lord and with justice and might to declare to jacob his transgression to israel his sin does that sound like somebody who's walking humbly before his god 
You're afraid to answer me, aren't you? Because Micah in his book said to walk humbly, yet he says this. So humility can't mean I had lack of confidence in God because Micah had this overwhelming confidence in God. In fact, I submit to you this. If you're a humble person, you will have an overwhelming confidence in God. In fact, you'll think of God so much you probably weren't even thinking of yourself. You'll, you'll see who God is and what he can do so much so it overwhelms your soul. That's part of humility. And you'll see, of course, who you are. But you also have a keen understanding uh, that God's mercies to you are great and they're new every morning. Micah knew that. Micah said this in Micah 7, 8, and here we are to this again. Who is like you? A little play on his name. Who is like you? Who pardons sin and forgives and delights in mercy. The Bible has so much to say on humility. It's such a key thing. If you're going to walk rightly before God, you have to be a humble person. 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, says this, In the same way you who are younger submit yourself to your elders, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand and that he may lift you up in due time. Cast out your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And in a like manner, um, James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10 says about the exact same thing. So that's going to show up behind me, and you can read that as we go on here uh, on your own. But I want to bring us to a conclusion here um, this morning. I was looking at all this um, scripture from Micah, specifically Micah 6, 8, and I thought, you know what? This really fits in with the Lord's prayer. The Lord Jesus told us to pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the natural question is, God, what is your will? What do you require of me? What does that mean? And Mike answers that question. God's will is when we act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. So when we're praying, and I don't know if you do this, I do this with the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done in the world. What I'm really saying is, God, I want your will to be done, but what, I, what I'm really saying is, God, your will is for me to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with you. It's so really Micah flushes out for us what the Lord Jesus is praying and teaches us to pray. And so I want to encourage you this week, as you go about your week, Frequently say to God, I want to act justly here, God. What does that mean? How do I do that? How do I be a secret agent of justice for your glory? And then I want you to think, how do I, how do I love mercy? And loving mercy means I look at those around me and I do something beneficial for them for the sake of who they are and for their, for their benefit. And that's my sole motivation. And then to walk humbly with our God, wow. Know who God is? See, Micah knew God so much. He said the overwhelming confidence that God could use him and the spirit was mighty upon him and he could say what he had to say to Israel, even though he was from a significant little town like Bruce. Okay? God could use him mightily, amen? And that's the same God that works in our hearts today. And he'll do the same thing for you and I as we walk humbly with him. So let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for Micah and for this book in the Old Testament uh, that's called a minor prophet, but in no way has a minor message. And the words that Micah shared uh, to the people at that time, they apply still to us today. And the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the ministry that uh, 
uh, you know, you promised that you would take these kinds of words and you would write them on our heart. As lovers of Jesus, Lord, as ones who want your kingdom to come, Jesus, and your will to be done, I pray that you would instill into our hearts, everyone here at Grace Point, that we would begin to act justly, that we would begin to be ones that would notice and pray and change and be courage, uh, courageous, Lord, that we would be just used by you, Lord, to make a difference in the proximity you place us in. And God, I pray in a like ways that we would love mercy, that uh, your mercies, Lord, are new to us each morning, and what great mercy you have shown to us, Lord, so that we should just reflect that to the culture around us, that we would do things for the benefit of those around us with no need of or no thought of what do I get out of this and then Lord I pray that we would walk humbly with you that we would know who you are and be enamored with who you are be overwhelmed with your greatness and your sufficiency Lord and your might and your power and your mercy and your love so much so Lord that that would just overwhelm our lives and Lord that our thoughts wouldn't be so much about who we are but about who you are and your uh, your total sufficiency Lord God, I just pray that we walk humbly with you, just loving on you and worshiping you, God. And I, I just pray, Lord, that, that these things would be in the minds of people here at Grace Point. And God, I just pray that um, we'd be more in love with you, Jesus, now than ever, and, and more, uh, more willing to abide in you and to walk tightly with you. The days demand it, Lord. Would you bless the people here of Grace Point and fill them with your Holy Spirit, I pray this day, Lord. In your name, Jesus, amen.